Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by MyBookie. If you create a new MyBookie account today and use the promo code UGA, they will literally give you a 100% deposit bonus. You're not going to find a better deal than that, and there's no better place out there to bet on college football than my bookie. So make sure, sign up now, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. But you guys know I'm your host, Tyler, and my host, Curtis, is here with me again this week to recap Georgia's can we say, uh, I guess, uninspiring 33 to nothing victory over the Samford Bulldogs? I guess that's about as uninspiring as a shutout victory can be. But before we dive into all that, and we will, guys, we'll dive into every aspect of that game. I do first just want to thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting our podcast. And I know those of you who have been around a long time, been with us for a while, you have heard me say this many times, but apparently based on the numbers coming in this week, we have a lot of new listeners this season. So for all of you new listeners out there, and of course also for our longtime listeners, I just want to say thank you to all of you, whether you're new or old. Because we just had the single biggest week in the history of the Glory UGA podcast. And to be quite honest with you guys, I did not see that one coming. Uh, obviously, like we know more people listen during the season than the offseason. That's just how running a sports podcast usually works. But I'm just blown away, guys, by the number of people listening in over the past week, especially considering it was leading into a game like this one against an opponent like Samford. And it has us on track to have the biggest month that we've ever had here at Glory UGA. So I'm just so grateful, guys. I really am. Like We work hard and we pour a lot into this thing, but none of it would matter or be remotely possible without all of you, each and every one of you. So thank you. And we are crazy, crazy excited about the rest of the season. But let's get into this thing. This was a game, this game against Samford, that was never in doubt. It was never going to be in doubt. I mean, it was a game really in name only. It was a it was a glorified scrimmage, guys. That's what it was. It was a glorified scrimmage against like the scout team. Well, not even the scout team, because I think our scout team would have routed Samford. That's how bad they were. But this is the type of game where 
You go into it trying to work on you, trying to clean up some things that you didn't like from the first game. Try to get some young guys some experience, get them some confidence, and just continue to generally build momentum heading into the meat of the schedule. That's what you do in games like this. Now, you guys have heard me say many times, I wish we didn't play games like this. I understand the rationale behind it. These programs got to get their payday so they can have the ability to offer scholarships to players and keep football going at all levels. I get all that. I wish there was another way we could figure out how to fund these programs without us having to play them because it's just not good for anyone. Like no one wants to see that, but that's a conversation for another day. And yeah, we accomplished some of the things that we wanted to accomplish coming into this game, but Kirby always likes to talk about our standard, how it isn't about the opponent. It's about the standard. And that's, I, I love that. And I know that's not necessarily a Kirby thing. That's a Saban thing. It goes back a long way. It goes back a while, but Kirby buys into that and he preaches that. And I love it because that's one thing that keeps you from playing down to your opponent. Think about all those years under Mark Rick, who I love dearly. And I'm not trying to criticize Mark Rick. I love that man. But you guys know, you lived through the Mark Rick years. We had a lot of a lot of ups, a lot of highs, a lot of great moments. But we also often played down to our opponents, at least far too often for my liking. And you don't see that as much with Kirby, especially now that we've got this program rolling, we've established the culture. And the big part of that is this idea of playing to our standard. But Curtis, I want to talk about that. How far away from playing to our standard were we on Saturday against Samford? Defensively, I think we were pretty close to playing to that standard. When you look at statistically what we did outside of, you know, a few yards, Sanford got really in like the fourth quarter. But defensively, I felt like we we were there, especially that first half. We played very, very strongly. Um, and that was even with some ro- rotating of people, getting people like Daylin ever in um, a little bit earlier. Yeah. But offensively, I we were not close to that standard. Yes, it was nice to get those guys in, get them experience, but we were sloppy. And it, that I think that's why I don't think we're anything near the standard is the sloppiness and the lack of execution on plays that were there to be made. That's the key word, Kurt. You said it, execution. That's what it came down to. We just didn't execute the way that we did week one. And look, week one was an impossible standard. It's hard. Like that's that's what you want to play to, but it's very rare that you're going to be playing like that every single week. I mean, that's not a sustainable type performance. And that was just all around, Curtis, an incredible performance from our team offensively, defensively. Stetson was nearly flawless. We'll get to him a little bit later. We just executed at an extraordinarily high level. Honestly, as well as I've seen us execute against a major conference opponent in a long time. But we didn't see that same level of execution on Saturday against Samford. And I, I and we'll get to it in a second here whether we should be alarmed by that. But it's really that simple, Curtis. I mean, I don't want to make anything more out of this than we should. Because for you baseball fans out there, this game was basically the equivalent of the Atlanta Braves, a major league baseball team, the defending World Series champion, playing a rookie league team, which is about as low as it gets in professional baseball. This is not the kind of game that you draw really any sort of conclusion. The only time, you, only time you'd really draw a conclusion from a game like this is if you – Lose it or almost lose it. And we were never yeah, like think like Nichols State Kirby's first year, you could draw conclusions on how we handled that game, but not right. this game. Yeah, I mean, like th- this game was never in doubt. Like we were never threatening this game. They never had a chance to do anything, whether it's offensively, d- defensively. And this thing about oh, you're right, offensively, Curtis, we were sloppy, but it wasn't really anything that Samford was doing. It truly was about us. That's why I glorified scrimmage. Like we were out there working on us, and we just like like Kirby talks sometimes, you know, when you listen to all his press conferences like we do, 
you know, he'll be very honest with you. It was a good day of practice, good energy, guys working hard, or was it a bad day of practice? And this was really just like a bad day of practice for the offense. That's really what it was. We were just dropping balls. We weren't putting the balls where they needed to be consistently. We weren't great with our reads all the time, whether that was in the run game or the pass game. We just simply did not execute to our standard. Now, then that's not okay. We need to address that, and we need to get to where we're performing closer to what we saw against Oregon than, we, than what we saw yesterday. But – it's just simple execution. That's really what it comes down to. And I, I think that we will execute at a higher level moving forward because we saw that week one against Oregon. But that brings me to my next question here. Like, Obviously, we run a Georgia podcast, which means that we share a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions on here. But I usually don't like to tell people how to feel because, I mean, we're all grownups. People can feel how they want to feel. But Curtis... You know, we did beat the holy hell out of Oregon. We beat them 49-3, put up 571 yards in the process, scored touchdowns on each of our first seven possessions. We were 100% with touchdowns in the red zone, 9 of 10 on third down. And then fast forward a week against Samford, uh, a much, um, let, let's just say a much weaker opponent. Let's just be nice to, to the Samford Bulldogs, a much weaker opponent. We win, yeah, we win 33-0, put up only 479 total yards, only went 3 of 7, with with touchdowns in the red zone and we're only five of 13 on third downs we quite literally beat oregon significantly more convincingly than we did sanford at home curtis so i am going to ask you to tell me even though we try to stay away from this but in this one case we'll make we'll make an exception how should georgia fans feel about the sanford game yesterday i honestly i would think it would be more of like not surprised like yes you want to play to a standard but that's not going to happen every game realistically especially when you start playing a team like this after such a big game um it just didn't surprise me um, maybe you're a little frustrated and wanting them to do it but i think that i i, I would i don't think there's any reason to be alarmed i mean stetson still threw for 300 yards um it felt like the mistakes that were being made are things that are correctable, which I think is the most important thing. It's not like where you see some games, like I mentioned, Nickel State, um, when we played them, Kirby's first year, like, it, that was alarming because there were certain things that were not going to be fixed. And like it, we were who we were in those games. That was a sign of who we were at that at that point in, in Kirby's tenure, right? Like, we, we, we saw the game. We're like, oh, yeah, great. We won. But this probably doesn't. Yeah, like the the, the, these 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 mistakes or these problems aren't going anywhere. That's not what you saw Saturday. It was just like a lack of focus at times, which I think, um, like Kirby said, you need some maturity. And like, we talk about all the skills, talent, and things that we still have on offense that you know that I think make us good with our depth and things. But I think a lot of it too, though, is a lot of these guys haven't been around. Like, yes, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton are both upperclassmen. But do they have the game time experience of doing this week in, week out? No. Um, and it's wide receivers. Outside of Karis, you really don't have that from week in, week out of the maturity and the experience. So I think the, these are all things that can be corrected. And I kind of te- – I, te- I, I texted you after the game and said I actually was happy that this happened. Yeah, because if they went out and this was a cakewalk week in, week out, some of these young guys, I don't know. I don't think that they would have developed and taken Kirby's coaching as well as they will now, hopefully, because some of these, you know, we're human and these kids are human. And when things are going well, you don't always listen to your coach when he says, says these certain things about, you know, you're a week from being humbled or all these different things. You read your press clippings, Curtis. Yeah. And I, I think that this was a great thing to happen, actually. 
Yeah, and I, I know that, like when you say that, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but I'm 100% in agreement with you, Curtis, because what you're saying, and it's, it's the way I, I look at a situation like this, it allows you to get the attention of your team, of your players, without having to pay for it, right? Without having to lose the game or be yeah. like, you know, Iowa last week, you know, they, they took a, a shot in week one. They won the game, but they won that game seven and three. And they, even though they won, they were like a national laughing stock. They take a hit in the polls and like their national reputation takes a little bit of a hit. Well, that's not going to happen in this game, Curtis. We were up 30 to nothing at halftime. Yeah, the second half was lethargic, only scored three points and it, it was what it was. But, you know, no one's going to look at this game and say, oh, well, Georgia really got pushed. Georgia really got threatened. No one's going to question Georgia over this game. I mean, it's an obvious spot. It's a letdown-ish spot. But what it does do, as you said, Curtis, you're exactly right. It allows our coaching staff to have teaching points. And you get the attention of these young players. A lot of the guys that need to grow up are, I mean, they're teenagers, Curtis. A lot of these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old. And you're right. They, I mean, it's just, especially now in the age of social media, it's just natural. It's going to happen. They're going to read those press clippings, especially the guys who haven't played a lot, as you were talking about. So this is something the coaches can use to get their attention. Say, hey, you guys have not arrived yet. And you're totally right. Saying that and then them actually hearing it are two different things. When the game like this happens, where it's so clear to everyone involved that you did not play up to your standard, the coaches can can get through you. They can get through to you easier. They'll say the same things they were going to say regardless, but now the players are more receptive to it. They're more open to hearing it, and that's going to help us moving forward as this young, inexperienced team, at least in a lot of spots, especially defensively, that's a good thing for them to have right now because we are going to get challenged at some point. It might be as early as this coming week in South Carolina on the road in Columbia, Curtis. So I, I'm totally with you. I think I, you never want to say it's a good thing to not play to your standard. And, and maybe you're, you know, we're looking at this with our, through our red and black color glasses. Maybe you can say that that's fine, whatever. But I think you're right. I think that this happening without us having to pay for it is actually in the long run going to end up being a positive thing for this team. Now, I thought, like you mentioned the focus curves. I thought we came out with pretty good energy. Was I just making that up? I thought we had good energy coming out in this game. No, there was good energy. And I think that what I'm talking about focus is the execution, in which I mentioned earlier, is where I think that there was a lack of focus. Um, you know, it, there was plenty of times where the guys had it, but it was inconsistent with, um, you, I mean, you look at Stetson, I thought his footwork was really terrible. He had some really nice plays, like that throw to the right where he comes back and hits Ladd working towards the sideline. Great throw, great play. That's a Stetson then special also, right there, yep. Yeah, but then there's plays where you're throwing it high to your tight ends, including one he overthrows Darnell and another one that he almost overthrows Darnell, and he's six foot eight. And yeah, you're you know, overthrowing nine foot tight end. Yeah, that was just a lack of focus and footwork, and those are almost like a like lazy plays. I mean, get, I mean, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong there at all, 100%. He played – we'll get to him in a little bit more detail in a minute. He was almost flawless week one, and he wasn't terrible. But, I mean, he, was, he still, he still threw for 300 yards. I mean, he had a good game, but it was it, – we know when we were looking at what happened on he third be down. The, yeah, and I think third down, when we were talking, looking at the conversion rate, I think that's what happened. A lot of these third downs were the, the bad – you know, the passes that were a little high and then stalled drives out in the red zone. You look at that – I think it was the very first drive. Um, Darnell was open for that touchdown. But he, oh, he was over three. That's, 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 that's an easy touchdown. That's a layup. Yeah. Convert and, I, and I think that was, you know, I think a lot of people were frustrated with the red zone numbers. And, and, it, and I think that's what it was. It was just we didn't focus and we didn't execute when we got down to the all around. It wasn't just that. And there was other guys. But those are some prime examples that really stick out. Yeah, the red zone, Curtis, that's that's the area I want to focus on here for a second, because we were very good offensively last year. I spent the entire offseason telling everyone who would listen that 
we were an elite offense last year by almost every advanced metric out there. But one area where we were not really elite was converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns. We were fine. We were okay, but we were not great there last year. Now it was fine because we won the national title. No one cares anymore. But I was really encouraged by what I saw on, on the, the first weekend against Oregon, where when we were going to, down the field and every time we get in the red zone, it's easy touchdowns. Like, okay, that's great. And we did them in different ways too. Then that was also encouraging me. The fact that we were able to have a variety of ways to attack the red zone and attack the defense, trying to put up six in the red zone. And then you come into this game and well, you have to settle for four field goals against a clearly, I mean, calling them overmatched is that's not even right. That doesn't even do justice to what the situation was on Saturday. That I, I, I don't want to draw conclusions, right? Curse, like I don't want to draw definitive conclusions here because I do think it's about execution, but we just can't let that happen. We have if we want to go back to back this year and we really truly want to contend for another national title, we have got to become more consistent in the red zone. We were fantastic, as good as you could be in week one. Yesterday. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. And I think you're right. It comes back to focus and execution, all those things. But that has to be something that we are far more consistent with. But Curtis, on a scale of one to 10 here, how concerned are you after what you saw on Saturday? Uh, one? I, I mean, yeah, I'm not very exactly concerned right. because it, it, it there was no glaring issue. Like I said, that's not fixable. And I think Kirby said it in the pe- best in the uh, – the post-game press conference on the field, he was like, she's like, well, what can you do? He's like, we got to practice. And you hear them, you heard Stinchcomb say it, like their practices are harder than most of their games, especially like the game you saw Saturday. Their weekly practices are tougher because they go against tougher competition. And so, I mean, that, that's why I'm not worried. These are all things that can get fixed because especially with the talent we have, th- those things can get fixed. And then with the competition, with the talent, with the kids behind them, if you don't focus and don't do your job, someone else will kick, you know, step in and take your spot especially with so many of those jobs i mean somebody has the yeah, job right now but they're all offense, there was offensive line there was you know some plays with offensive linemen i felt were not doing um great and the, there was tate rattledge real quick as you mentioned offensive line am i just making things up i don't feel like tate rattledge is moving that well right now i think he struggled i think that the game is a little quick for him with his injuries too i, I don't know how his, both of his how, injuries are foot related and that has yeah. me a little bit concerned heading into sec play no, I agree. I do. I was noticing it too. I just think that the game's a little quick for him. He's having a tough time getting across the face of of defenders in the zone run game, and he's not. That's what. That's where they're killing him. They're shooting, well. they're, he's teams are shooting the gaps like crazy yeah. on him. Yeah, and if, if in terms of just getting movement, he's doing a great job when he gets when he gets on the guy. But when he's facing some of those quicker guys up front, and they are shooting those gaps, he's having a tough time. And those are tough plays to get your face across sometimes, but. He's got to be able to do that. And I, I hope as he continues to work back in shape, because he missed a large chunk of fall camp with that turf toe injury. And obviously he's coming off to Liz Frank. So I just, I mean, I, I have a lot of faith in Tate. I know our coaches love him, but I mean, that's just one thing I noticed watching this game, Chris. I was curious if that was just me. Maybe I'm just had like too high expectations for him. So I don't know. Just, that's something to watch there, as you mentioned, the offensive line. But I'm with you, Curse. Like, I, I'm not even remotely worried about this game. I'm not. And I, I know that we, we all watch this and it's frustrating because we're not we're not doing some of the things that we were doing almost effortlessly against Oregon, who is a much better opponent. And it's like, come on, guys, like, what, what are we doing here? But there's there's context here, Curtis. Again, I, I think we almost approach this as a practice. Like, I, I truly believe it was like some of the guys out there approach this. I mean, they had good energy. 
because you're out there in front of the in front of the home crowd for the first time. But almost you got the feeling they were approaching this like it was a glorified scrimmage. And we were wrote and the coaches, I think so. And I'm not saying our coaches weren't coaching hard. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying they were lackadaisical. I'm just saying the way we approached the game. Because first, I mean, we were rotating liberally from the jump, from the get-go. And that's not what we saw week one against Oregon. In fact, one of the things that we talked about coming out of the Oregon game was how we had tightened up our tight end and wide receiver rotation. Well, that wasn't the case against Stanford. And yeah, I know A.D. Mitchell went out early in the game, but we were rotating, I mean, not just at his spot with Dylan Bell, but we were bringing guys in, you know, whereas Jackson Meeks, Nyland Morissette, guys that just simply were not playing at all, really, in the meaningful uh, situations there against Oregon. We were rotating liberally there, the skill positions, whether it's running back, receiver, we were getting guys in the game. And I'll also say this, Curtis. I mean, I don't know how much stock you put into this. Like, how tough do you think it is to get up emotionally back-to-back weeks in general, but especially when the back end of of the of the series of games is a team full of guys that basically someone just kind of rounded up on the playground. Like, how tough is it for our team to get motivated for a team like that coming off what we did week one against Oregon? I think it is very difficult to get up realistically. And I think that, you know, it, you've seen it. Like, look at Arkansas. You had Cincinnati last week and then South Carolina this week. But I think it's different when you're trying to get up for a team like this, that what we faced on Saturday. 100%. Yeah, that's 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 my point. It's like, okay, you spend all offseason focusing on Oregon, a fringe top 10 matchup, and you blow the doors off them. You annihilate them. And then you come back the next weekend at home in a rainy environment, and you're playing Samford. Again, a team full of guys that you base your surrounded by. Well, and not only that, but – after you dominate the team before and all the press clippings that happen, it's going to be even harder. I mean, guys like me saying we should be ranked number one, right? Like I'm part of the problem, I guess. But yeah, I mean, like, and, I, and I'm not trying to make excuses. I know it sounds like that. Maybe that's what I'm doing, but I'm just trying to put this in context saying, don't freak out. And I know most of you aren't, but I did get a few people on social media that were, you know, very, um, I, I guess, frustrated, upset, angry with, with the performance. And I, and I get the frustration. But I'm just not going to draw any sort of definitive conclusions off of a game like this. And Curtis, we have a ton more to talk about today. But before we move on, I do want to take a chance to tell everyone about our friends at MyBookie. The first two weekends of the college football season have been absolutely insane. Great games, major upsets everywhere. And while that's fun, what makes it even more fun, even more exciting is to have a little bit of stake in each of these games. And my bookie is the place to go for exactly that because the return of the college football season means winning season has officially returned. There are plenty of opportunities for you guys to take advantage and win at my bookie. It doesn't matter, guys, whether you're a season better or you're a first-timer trying to get it on some of this action and spice up your college football Saturdays a little bit. My bookie gets the most for you with their double deposit bonus for our Glory UJ listeners up to $1,000. All you have to do to claim your bonus is sign up today, use the promo code UGA on your first deposit, and you will instantly double your money with my bookie. So bet on teams, bet on win totals, bet on national championship predictions, bet on props, bet on spreads, bet on anything and everything at my bookie anytime, anywhere. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, I know we've looked at the team as a whole when it comes to maybe an uninspiring performance against Samford, but one thing I do want to ask you specifically about the offense here, obviously coming out of week one, one of the storylines of the entire college football season was, uh, uh-oh, this is the new-look Georgia offense. Like, have they kind of activated the Georgia offense finally? So do you still feel as good about the offense as you did coming out of the Oregon, Oregon game after what we saw yesterday against Samford? I do. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, we played sloppy um, throughout this game. And yes, it was Sanford, but we still threw for over th- – or Sesson still threw for exactly 300 yards. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that – in the past, the quarterbacks were maybe 150 yards before we ran at every play. And then not only that, but when the backups came in, they were throwing also. And I think that is a big change in philosophy of what we've seen since Kirby Smart's been here. I, I just want to put this into perspective, okay? So Stetson Bennett threw for 300 yards, and we're and some people are calling this a bad game. And I, I'm not going to say, and we'll get to Stetson in just a second here. I'm not going to say he played stellar. He absolutely did not. But Curtis, do you know how many 300 yard passing games Stetson has had in his career coming into the game against Sanford? I think two. Well, if you add in the Oregon game, week one, right? Well, if you add in the Oregon, isn't it three? I think because I know he had one against Michigan. He had one against Michigan in the Orange Bowl and the SEC in a losing effort, the SEC championship game against Alabama. So this is his fourth 300 yard passing game in his career. Curtis, all I'm saying is like it was still a pretty good performance by Stetson. It just wasn't as good as what we saw uh, week one against Oregon. And, and, and he missed some throws. There's no doubt there. But we'll get to him in just a second here. But I'm not worried about the offense. I'm with you, Curtis. I mean, yeah, we missed on some throws. Stetson did make one poor decision, but it, it, I go back to what we're saying about the entire team. It wasn't about Samford. It wasn't like Samford was just stoning us. It was just simply about us not executing, and I'm not worried about that because I know that we can because we saw us execute at, at about as high of a level as you possibly can in week one. And then also, again, we're working with a lot of younger guys. We worked in those guys a lot more and a lot earlier than we did in week one. We missed some touchdowns. Curtis, we, we settled for four field goals inside the red zone. If two of those, we convert to touchdowns. Are we having the same conversation? No, not at all. We're not. We're not. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, it wasn't as great of a performance. We did not play to our standard. But the offense, we still have the weapons. Those guys that we were all excited about. After the Oregon game, they're all still on the team. Knock on wood. They're all still healthy right now. We're fine. We're okay. I'm not going to draw any sort of definitive conclusions off this one game because we saw – I'm putting more of a stock on what we did against Oregon, against a power opponent, where we actually were approaching it in the way that I think we'll approach 
the rest of the games on the schedule as we get into the meat of our schedule. But, Kurt, we've kind of been dancing around it here. We've touched on it a little bit. Stetson was, um, I mean, let's just call it what it was, man. He was nearly flawless against Oregon week one. I know the Stetson haters don't like to hear that, and they're out in full force right now after the Sanford game, but that's a very tough standard to maintain. What did you make of his performance overall on Saturday against Sanford? I think it was just, it was inconsistent because, um, like we said, he still threw for 300 yards. He had a good um, completion percentage. Those were the yep. things, but it was just those um, third-down conversion plays where he didn't make something happen or, or um, you know, where the footwork was off or some of those plays where the big plays were there to be made. Um, like that, there was the one Darnell mentioned, he overthrew Brock on one play that was across the middle. Um, there were just some plays um, – big chunk plays or big plays for touchdowns that were there that weren't converted, which um, I think is what has yeah. some of these people are focusing on. But overall, I mean, he's like I said, he still threw for 300 yards. I just, I think it was inconsistent where there were some good or some bad. Yeah, he wasn't sharp. I mean, he did some good things. He did some really good things. One of my friends texted me after the game. He's like, dude, I, I hate to be the guy, but like I'm pissed off at Stetson right now. And I was like, why? He's like, like that just, he, he's got to be better than that. And I was like, Dude, he was fine. Like, yes, he missed some throws. Yeah, I mean, he missed a touchdown to Darnell. I mean, again, that's tough. You overthrow a nine-foot tight end. That's tough. Uh, the the deep ball to Jackson Meeks, was it the first drive, Curtis, I think it was? Um, Yeah, the first, first drive. First or second drive. And Jackson was streaking. He'd broken away down the seam, and that's a touchdown. Um, And he's got to hit that. He knows that. But I'm not worried about that because I've seen Stetson hit those balls Pretty consistently throughout his career. I mean, that's one thing Stetson does pretty well. I know people will say, "Oh, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a good arm. Blah, 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 he doesn't throw the deep ball well." I don't I don't see that. I mean, does he hit every deep ball? No, because you know what? No quarterback hits every deep ball. But yeah, he missed that one for sure. There's that ball to Lad, which is, I mean, it wasn't a big play in the game, but he threw, Lad was over there for a quick screen and he threw the ball. But initially, called it a catch. But it was low, and then they went back and reviewed it, and it was it had hit the, the tip of the ball. It had hit the hit the ground there. So there were just a few things where he just wasn't sharp. He wasn't sharp. I'll give him credit here, Curtis. He is protecting the ball well. He did not put the ball really in harm's way. Uh, I, I did think he made one really poor decision, that sack, Curtis, that he took. That He simply cannot take that sack. Yeah, that, w- that was a play that, you know, it, I think especially last week I gave him credit for throwing the ball away and taking some instead of taking those sacks or doing something crazy. And I felt like that was kind of just what we've seen in the past on that sack. Yeah, he simply cannot take that sack. You know, one of the things that we said all of last year about Stetson is like, you know, he does a really good job for us, but, you know, he's good for one or two boneheaded decisions a game. And we didn't see that in, in week one. That was another one of the most encouraging things I took away from that game is Stetson was just like in complete control, poised, confident. I mean, he was just running the show like I've never seen him run the show. And he was still running the show well on Saturday, you know, all in all, but that took us out. I mean, that took us out of field goal range, Curtis. And I know it's Sanford, and it didn't hurt us. We still won this game easily, comfortably. But you can't make those kind of decisions against better opponents. And that I mean, again, I'm not trying to draw any sort of like hardcore conclusions from this game, but that is a decision that can't be made. And you're right. Go back to what you were saying earlier, Curtis. That's a really good teaching moment for Stetson, for Kirby to be able to look in the and, and Todd Monk to be able to look him in the eye in the film room and say, "You cannot do that. You have to be better." And Stetson knows that. So if that's going to happen, I'm glad it happened against Stanford or Samford, where we don't have to pay for it. We'll be okay there. But I just want to say, like, you, you talk about Stetson and still putting up good numbers, and he did, dude. I mean, okay. Here's the numbers from Oregon, 25 of 31, 368, 80.6% completion percentage, 97.4 total QBR. I mean, almost flawless. I mean, I think he missed, 
in that Oregon game, I think there's maybe one or two throws that were on him that he missed. He missed that deep ball to Ladd. And, I mean, is there another one that was really like he missed? I mean, there was the little shovel pass to Brock that didn't work out, and he threw a couple away. But he was literally almost flawless week one against Oregon. This week, fast forward one week, 24 of 35, 300 yards passing, 8.6 yards per attempt, 70% completion percentage. Now, his QBR did drop down to 63.2, but I think this shows us, Curtis, how much Stetson Bennett has improved this year. That we're calling that performance 24-35, 70% completion percentage, 300 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt. We're calling that a bad game. Some people are calling that a bad game for Stetson, and he made some mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but Curtis... In, in previous years, if Stetson puts up that stat line, you you open your eyes and go, wow, where'd that come from? And he did that on Saturday in just a little bit more than one half of football. So that's where he is right now. This guy has improved to that level, and he's certainly got to get those balls down. Like the one he missed Darnell, you can't miss that. He's got to hit those deep balls for sure. But I just kind of go back to what I was saying last year. Sometimes I feel like our fan base holds Stetson to the standard that we don't hold any other quarterback in the country to. That if he misses one throw or two throws here or there, that like we just jump down this guy's throat and we want to murder him for that when no other quarterback is held to that standard by our fan base. And I get it. He's our guy. And like we all live and die with that. I understand that. And he wasn't perfect, but I still think Stetson all in all played a, played a solid football game. And then we saw some things he can work on, improve on. You're at the footwork somewhere. is an area that he's got to be a little bit more consistent in. But I think moving forward, he will. I didn't see anything from Stetson this game that was alarming. Is that fair to say, Curtis? Yeah, I think that's fair. That's how I would put it. Yeah, I mean, he's got to improve on some things, but I wasn't alarmed. I didn't see any, like, flashing lights saying, like, oh, my God, like, you need to worry. I'm fine. I think he's fine. We're okay with that. Now, Curtis, we did get some questions over the past week, and I want to get your thought on this real quick. We got some questions about us not throwing the ball vertically down the field as much against Oregon, and you didn't see us do a ton of that. I got some more of those questions after the Samford game. Do you have any concerns about our offense's ability to do that? No, because I was wondering about that, but then the more I paid attention to how Samford was aligned against us, yeah. that where that was really what they were giving us. Well, they were, they were the not three, wanting three, to give up look. the big play. Yeah, they were playing the three three five look, trying to keep us from hitting those explosive plays down the field. And, you know, they did a decent job at that. Like, we weren't just throwing the ball at will down the field, but we actually pushed the ball vertically down the field better against Samford than we did against Oregon. I know the results might not seem that way when the score is 33 nothing as opposed to 49-3, and we had some frustrating moments, and we bogged down in the red zone. I get that. But if you look at the Oregon game – our average depth of target in that game was 5.6. Against Samford, it was almost 10. It was 9.9. And 10 is elite. If you're in that range of your depth of target is 10 yards or more, that's pretty elite. And last year, we were like right at 10. Uh, Stetson still hitting 10.3 yards per attempt in his passes this year. What we're doing right now, guys, is we're taking layups. We're taking those gimme yards. Like Todd Munkin is kind of, it seems like he spent the entire offseason trying to master the screen, the RPO game. And I'm not worried about it because I know that we can push the ball vertically. I have seen us do that. I saw us do that all last year. Now, I do have some questions about who that consistent vertical threat is going to be, but I think that we have guys that can do it. But, Curtis, speaking of throwing the football, running back Kenny McIntosh once again led the dogs in receiving and is currently in the top five in the SEC, the entire league in receiving. Now, I did send out a uh, a tweet during the game, kind of totally tongue-in-cheek, asking if, Kenny is going to just lead the SEC in receiving this year. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But, Curtis, how realistic is it to think that maybe Kenny McIntosh could 
lead the Georgia Bulldogs in receiving? Um, I think it's very realistic um, because I think his versatility allows him to do it. And the fact that you, a lot of it is checkdowns. I mean, yeah, I don't, there are some plays that are designed for him, but a lot of it are just checkdowns where he, then he's making something happen. And I mean, you can't be against that at all. And I think the more teams try to take away the tight ends and some of these other receivers that it's going to, when you talk about the three, five, um, the three, three, five, it, you know, that was what was open. That was what was there to be taken. I mean, Curtis, we're, we're, it's very interesting what we're doing their offense right now. Uh, we have worked through the first two games heavily on the RPO game, which we, is something that we didn't do a lot of last year. And that's one of the things that I was kind of screaming about. I was like, we need to do more. The way that we structure offense, run the football, and how teams defend this and react to play fakes, I didn't understand. And I love Todd Monk. I didn't understand why we did not incorporate more RPOs into our game plan last year, into our offense. And I think Todd Munkin felt the same way because, you know, fast forward throughout this offseason to this season, the first two games, like we are running a heavy amount of RPOs and screen game all over the place. So a lot of it is design plays to get the ball to our running backs, to get the ball to Kenny McIntosh. But you're right, there are also some plays where we're taking check down. Stetson is not trying to force those balls. But I think a big part of this and what's going to help Kenny here is that we do have such a variety of weapons with A.D. Mitchell, with Ladd McConkie, with obviously the tight ends that we have. And defenses have to prioritize how they're going to defend us. And coming to the season, clearly Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield in the passing game was not a top priority for Oregon or for Sanford to be able to stop. Now, are teams going to adjust as the season progresses? And that's fine. If they do and they take away Kenny, then that opens up things more for our tight ends, more for guys like AD and more for guys like Ladd McConkie. But right now what we're doing is we're getting him matched up in very favorable matchups against opposing defenses, and they simply cannot defend everyone. Most of the teams that we play on our schedule, they have a couple good defenders, but they don't have enough guys to match up with all the dudes that we have, and somebody is going to have a favorable matchup. And through the first two weeks so far in the passing game, it's been Kenny more consistently than it has been anyone else, and Todd Munkin has seen that. He's recognized that. He's taken advantage of that. Now, I do expect teams to adjust moving forward. But like I said, I, I think that's just going to open up opportunities for the other major playmakers on our offense because we have that's the thing we have this year, guys, is we have a variety of guys that can hurt you, and we can hurt you in different ways. And right now, we're just able to gash teams with our running backs in the past game. It's not just Kenny. Kenny's obviously been the leader, but Dajan's done some good things out of the backfield in the past game. Even Kendall's gotten involved a little bit as well. So I, I don't – I don't know if it's going to sustain to where he's going to end up leading the team in receiving curse, but I also wouldn't be shocked by it. I think he'll be in the top two. Is that crazy to say that he's going to be in the top two when the season's done in, in terms of Georgia's receivers? No, not at all, especially if, if we're not doing the big plays um, right now with our offensive philosophy. It's there for him to be in the yeah. top two. And that's just his skill set, too. I mean, we're we're – doing a fantastic job of maximizing his skill set and what makes him unique and what makes this guy special. And we have plenty more left to talk about. We haven't even had a chance to touch on the defense yet. But before we do that, I do want to tell you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. When it comes to Georgia gear and accessories, no one does it better than Alumni Hall. And when it comes to customer service, no one does it better. Whatever your preference is, whatever brand you like, whatever style you like, Alumni Hall has got you covered, guys. Trust me, I spend plenty of time in there. And I'm always finding something new. And one of the coolest things about Alumni Hall is that when you spend money there, when you get that, get that Georgia gear, you also help yourself out for future purchases. Because for every $150 you spend, you get $10 in rewards cash 
towards future purchases through their Hall Pass Rewards program. And if you're someone like me who has, um, I guess we can call it an addiction. I think it's a healthy addiction. At least that's what I tell myself. But if you're like me and you have basically your entire wardrobe comprised of red, black, gray, and white, just Georgia gear after Georgia gear after Georgia gear, then uh, that really comes in pretty handy. But the next time you're looking for Georgia gear, guys, do yourself a favor and check out my bookie because that is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis. So, once again, this week we spent the vast majority of our time talking about the offense, but we got to get, get, Give the defense some love here before we get out of here. Another stellar performance by the defense, who currently leads the country in scoring defense, giving up one and a half points per game through two games. But Curtis, I mean, let's be real here. We obviously know the schedule is about to heat up real quick over the next couple of weeks. The numbers are there. The production is there. But is this defense really that good, Curtis? I'm not ready to say that. I think more than anything, I think we're vulnerable right now in the running game um, until the a lot of that's cleaned up the front seven. I think they need to gel some more. Um, so I think once we face a team that is more balanced um, is what I'm waiting for before I make my true judgment. But I think in the past defense, like the more experience we get in the back end, I think we're more talented actually than, um, now than we were at the, last year. Oh, we're definitely better in the back end. I feel very confident saying that. I, I do, and then I know it's tough to say when you lose a guy like Lewis Seen, who's the first round draft pick, but you get Chris Smith coming back. Malachi Starks' his potential is just incredible. What this guy's going to be able to do, and what he's going to grow into if he can stay healthy. Knock on wood. Keely Ringo is is a year older, a year more experienced, a year better. I really like what we're seeing from Kamari Laster out there. I know he's young and inexperienced, but he's got good length. He's a really good cover guy from what I've seen so far. We've got a number of options at the star position, whether it's Javon Bullard, who started the first two games. Tyke Smith, did you know, notice Curtis, got some got some run early in this game against Sanford. I thought he did some good things, played well, still working himself back from the ACL tear. It was good to see him get out there and play some good football. William Poole is another guy. I mean, this guy made a huge play for us in the national championship game to help us win and seal that game. So we've got a lot of options, a lot of talented options. Dan Jackson, obviously, is a guy that our coaches trust immensely, and I think he's far more talented and athletic than people want to give him credit for. We are very good in the back end. Uh, but the front seven, I, I still have some questions, Curtis. You know, And the, the production, I think, I'm hoping it's not misleading. But I think there's a – I mean, obviously, we're not going to be holding opponents to 1.5 points per game through the rest of the year. That's not going to happen. Teams are going to score. But I do have some questions about the front seven. Curtis, if we play a team that can actually run the football, let's say Florida, right? Florida, you know, obviously they lost Kentucky yesterday, and that was, you know, they came back down to earth. 
But Florida runs the football well. They got a mobile quarterback. In that matchup, how good do you feel about our ability to actually stop a team that, like, what they do is run the football? Like, that's plan A, plan B, plan C for them. Do you feel like our front seven is ready for a challenge like that at this point? Right now, I don't think we are. No. I'm not going to say that we're not. I just don't know if we are. Is that fair? I guess that's probably – I think that's probably a better way to put it. I, I think that's fair. I'm just not positive um, what yeah. to expect yet. I just have questions. I have questions, and I've said it many times. I know you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but without a guy like Jordan Davis, a big space eater who's been, I believe, the key to our defense for the past couple of years, being able to eat up blockers, eat up space, allows us to defend the box with even numbers. Without a guy like that, I just – I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what we're going to try to do schematically to teams that – that's going to have to compensate for not having a guy like that in the middle when we actually play teams that want to run the football against. And I thought Oregon had a decent amount of success running the football. I mentioned that last week. They just weren't committed to it. And I thought that was a mistake with their offensive line and some already experience in the front seven. I thought it was a mistake for them not run the ball more. I thought it was a mistake for them to not get Bo Nix involved more in the design quarterback run game. And hey, that sucks for them. That was a mistake. That's an experienced play caller calling his first game as the as a primary play caller. I think that kind of helped us out there. But I mean, they still ran the ball for 140 yards, Curtis. They ran the ball for over four yards per attempt, which exactly one team did against us last year. And Oregon did that already in week one. Now, Sanford, you can't tell anything from that. I mean, it's overmatched. That was just never going to be a problem. I mean, Jordan Davis was like Godzilla playing with like ragdolls, like playing with action figures out there. They, they had no chance to stop us. But I, I just I have some questions. I have some questions about how we're going to structure things up from the defensive line. We know who Jalen Carter is, but those other guys, right? I like what we see from Warren Brinson, like in pasture situations. He keeps winning those one-on-one reps. But can we hold up against the run, against teams that actually have a, a strong running game? And I don't know if we have answered that question yet. I'm hopeful the answer is yes. I, I love the talent, but I just I just need to see it. And, Curry, I do want to ask you about this, too. We did some questions last week for the mailbag about the lack of pass rush, no sacks against Oregon and Bo Nix. We have exactly one sack, Curtis. We're 119th in the country right now through two games. One single sack, Michael Williams against Samford. How concerned are you about our pasture situation right now? I'm not very concerned because look at the teams we played the last two weeks. They made it a mission to get rid of the ball quickly. Yep. There was no, especially with Bo Nix, you were trying to contain him more than anything. But Samford, they the were. Yeah. Yeah, they were. They got rid of the ball really quick, and there was no. They didn't chance want to get the quarterback murdered. They didn't want. To, they didn't want to go to a funeral Saturday night. That's that was the fact. Yeah. In that game. They they, they knew their right. offensive line couldn't hold up, so they didn't try to. Yeah, I mean, they, they literally. I mean, Curtis, it was like they were. I know we should have blown them out more, but their coach Hatcher asked our our staff to go to a twelve minute clock in the fourth quarter. Because he didn't want to, he wanted to minimize any chance possible for his guys to get hurt. Because it was unfair. Like that, that team should not have been on the field with us. Like somebody easily could have gotten hurt. So, I mean, yeah, like it, I'm not overly concerned about. Well, let me say this: I'm not not concerned about the pastures. My question is this, Chris. I, I'm not. It's, it's not the results themselves that have me like alarmed. Because you're right. Bo Nix has a different way we defend him. He's a different kind of quarterback. In this game, Sanford, they were getting the ball out of his hands. They had really no opportunity for us to really rush the pass or any, in any sort of consistent way. But I do have this question, Curse, before we move on to our game balls. Who do you think those pass rushers are going to be? Because I don't know who those guys are, and I, and I hope they reveal themselves. But right now, I'm not sure who they are. Is it Mike Kelly? Who is that guy? I mean, I think Mike Kelly, and then I think realistically, I would not be shocked to see someone like Xavier Sori. Um, yeah, the more experience he gets, where they're bringing him in on passing situations. Yeah, we're bringing he's he's the guy that's coming in those passing in our in our dying package situations. I think he's I mean he's a guy that you know we talked about coming in as as a recruit. 
he was a guy that was an outside linebacker, could play inside linebacker, kind of a tweener, but he had outside linebacker skills. And so, I, I mean, it's not surprising to me at all to see us bring him in those situations. I do think in terms of our linebackers, he has more pass rush skills because he did more of that in high school than any of those other guys. So I think he could become that guy. Chris, is Nolan Smith ever going to become that guy for us rushing the passer off the edge? I don't know. Um, it looked like he had developed some new moves. Um, There's that one play where he got some pressure on the quarterback, but I just don't know about the speed, um, the combo. Well, he's he got, I think he has great speed. He, he's highly athletic. It's just he's never developed into that kind of player as a, as a pass rusher. And granted, we don't necessarily use him in that role as much as we do some other guys, but it's really a speed rush and a little inside rush. And that's – I haven't seen him flash much else consistently. It's just – I mean, at this point, Curtis, I mean – at this point in his career, he kind of is who he is. Is is that what we're saying? It feels like it because if those moves haven't developed, and if they were going to, it would have already happened by now. I've just waited and waited and waited. And look, Nolan is a fantastic player for us. He defends the run extraordinarily well. I think he's one of the best run defenders in the entire SEC. I really believe that. But he's never just been that dominant pass rusher. And he does a lot of good things for us. He he runs plays down. I mean, this guy plays a thousand miles an hour. I mean, he's a fantastic player for us, but he just never has become that dominant pass rusher like you like you thought he would become in a high school as the number one recruit in the country. I don't know. I just have some questions on who that guy is going to be. Maybe Robert Beal. You know, he led the team in sacks last year. He's obviously back this year. I just never I've never seen him as a dynamic pass rusher. He's never kind of struck me that way. He's a good solid pass rusher. But I'm just curious to see who those guys are. I really want to see somebody emerge. Maybe it's going to the inside linebackers again. I just don't know if any of those guys are ready to, to pressure the quarterback the way that the guys we had last year. So those guys were just elite at that, whether it's N'Kobe, Channing, or Quay. They were all just elite. And I think our guys now can develop into that, but are they ready to be that right now? I don't know. I think the jury is still out on that. I still have a question there. All right, Curtis. Uh, honestly, man, there's not a ton more to talk about when it comes to a game like this. It really was, as far as I'm concerned, a, a, a glorified scrimmage. But before we get out of here, let's hand out some game balls. Who gets your first game ball? Um, I think I'm going to go with Kenny McIntosh. Okay. I mean, let, let the team receiving two weeks in a row. Yeah, it's hard to, I think hard right hard now argue. he's going to be quite a, getting quite a few, at least from the running back position. Um, that's who I'll start with. All right. Uh, I'm going to – I'll go with the other running back. You, you took Kenny. I'm going to take Kendall Milton here. Uh, let the team in rushing. 10 carries, 85 yards. I'm not good at math. I know that comes out to eight and a half yards per rush. No touchdowns. But Curtis, he's a really good compliment to Kenny McIntosh. Like, no, he doesn't have the athleticism of Kenny. He's not as fast or, or anything like that. He's really good in a short area, though. And he's running with some physicality, which I think we need in our running because that's not Kenny. Kenny can run behind his pads at times, but that's not really his game. And so Kendall being healthy and hopefully staying healthy, I think that's big for this offense because he is that guy that's going to fill that role. He's not as fast and as athletic as Zeus is, but he's a guy that can give you that kind of physicality, and that's something that our offense certainly needs. All right, who are you giving the ball to next? Um, I'm going to go with Smile Munden. I thought he had a really good game. All right, you're stealing. Right, I got to mark him off my list. You stole him. All right, Smile Munden. Is he the best inside linebacker on the team right now? I think – I. you know, I said for a while I thought he was going to be, and I, I still believe yeah. that because I think he's better than uh, Pop right now. I mean, he's, he's the, more of the total package of I mean, those guys in terms of athleticism, speed, um, ability to rush the passer, playing between the tackles. I think he, I think he is right now the best of the, of the group. We have some good players. We're rotating guys in and out, but I think he's the best of the group. Uh, my second game ball is going to go to true freshman wide receiver Dylan Bell for his first touchdown. Obviously, A.D. Mitchell goes down early in that game. Seems like he's going to be fine with a little bit of an ankle. Kirby say could have gone back in. Dylan Bell stepped in, played well. This is a guy that we heard a lot about 
during fall camp. He was not here in spring practice, so he's made up a lot of ground very quickly, made the most of it. Uh, first touchdown catch, I think that's the first of many for Dylan. Very excited to see what he's going to be able to do for us moving forward. I like what he brings to the table. And Curtis, who gets your last game ball? Um, Last game ball? Oof. Um, it's tough. Like, there weren't many like standout performances. There weren't. I think I'm going to go with Malachi Starks. I thought he made some good yeah. plays again. Almost had a second interception. Yep. Drove on that ball. Yep, that's a good one, man. And for my final game ball of week two, I'm going to stick with the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with Michael Williams. He did rack up his first sack of his entire career. Honestly, it should have been two. There's another play that he beat the offensive lineman, was basically a free runner at the quarterback, and just kind of overshot him, was almost too excited, and just missing the quarterback, kind of ducked under him, and he missed that one there. But he did end up getting one later in the game. And just like I think Dylan Bell's receiving touchdowns is going to be the first of many for him, I think that is the first of many sacks for Michael Williams, who I believe is the total package. He's young and inexperienced. He's still got to continue to develop and improve and, and polish up his game. But he's got the athleticism. He's got the skill set. He's got the work ethic. When you match all of those things together, that's usually when you have the recipe for an elite player a potentially special player. And I think that's exactly what Michael Williams will eventually grow into. I honestly just hope that we allow him to actually pin his ears back and rush the passer more from that five tech demons of imposition than we did Trayvon Walker, who was the first pick in the NFL draft because of what he can do rushing the passer. And we just didn't really unleash him in that role all that often because in our defensive scheme, that's not a premier pass rushing position. Now we did recognize his talent. We moved him inside and dime package looks and obvious passing downs and try to get him matched up on guys that he could destroy but we just didn't really use him as a pure pass rusher as much as I think that we should have and I hope that we recognize that and kind of correct that mistake at least in my opinion that mistake with Michael Williams especially in the absence of any clear options as like true dominant pass rush threats off the edge but all right guys that does it for us today here on the glory UGA podcast it might have been uninspiring but hey it was still a win nonetheless 33 nothing I'll take it on to the next one. We've got South Carolina up this weekend. Charlie and I will be back on Tuesday with our weekly in-season mailbag episode, giving you guys a chance to ask us any and all questions you have about the previous week's game. Also, some questions potentially leading into the upcoming game. So, we'll take one more quick look back at the win against Samford. That'll give us the opportunity to go back and rewatch the game a couple times and give you guys a little bit more of a nuanced take and not just the instant reactions take that you get here on this episode. We'll have the South Carolina preview episode for you guys. And of course, Charlie and I will wrap things up with our picks of the week at the end of the week. So a lot of great stuff for you guys this week and the rest of the 2022 college football season. So keep on coming back for more guys and we'll keep delivering the content. But thank you for being here. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.